0: Well, it's good to be back on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. I I just wish I knew where Nathan and JC were. You know, it was really interesting to hear them really just speak so tenderly in reference to me and how badly they missed me last week and my heart was so warm and my spirit was so uplifted. I mean, I just haven't felt that edified and that encouraged in such a long time. <laughs> and then JC... The- um, he just he just didn't quit talking, and he brought up my age. He called me Papa in spite of the fact that I'm not even a grandpa. He then made fun of my voice, and I think he may have even accused me of being somewhere searching for a restroom, incapable of finding one. I, I can't remember what all he said, but it's amazing how you can be built up in one moment and edified in one moment and then just... Totally, completely destroyed, and and so I've been in pastoral counseling all week. They don't even realize that because <laughs> the wounds of a friend hurt so badly, and and you mm. know, spe- especially to feel stabbed completely in the mm. back like that when it was totally unprovoked, it, it hurt so deeply. And and now at this point, I don't even know whether to tell JC or not that John Hamblin complimented his hair. I don't <laughs> I don't know whether to even share that with him or not. But I can say this. <laughs> Um, I think JC's just expressing his insecurity, and because I understand what it's like to be insecure, and and being that he would have no remote understanding of the fact that you can be wise and young, I'm just I'm just going to let that go, and uh, I'm going to be oh oh hey JC hey buddy when did you when did you join the recording just,
1: just sitting here doing an alcohol episode watching you whine.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> can I have a little cheese with it? Um, you know, I can say this much, JC, I still love you in spite of the fact that you are you're incredibly mean to me all the time. Even Even you continue to bring up this false accusation that I've made fun of youth <laughs> pastors. I have youth pastors getting in touch with me, asking me why I don't believe in the validity of youth ministry. Mm. And we have a youth pastor <laughs> on staff. We pay a youth pastor. It's, Look, let me just clear this up real quickly. And Nathan Here it goes. You are now under oath. Do you promise to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God?
2: I solemnly swear not to lie.
0: <laughs> so when Nathan was going to take a youth pastor's position there in Anderson, south carolina at the great Gospelite baptist church with the great chad uh whose pastor's there and does an incredible job i actually said in our text thread i'm going to miss hearing you preach every sunday because you do such an amazing job and i'm going to miss that part of your ministry and then JC comes crashing into the text thread <laughs> like a bull in a china shop. Don't you believe youth ministry is important? I'm trying to pay the man a compliment, JC. I know you don't understand compliments, leaving the and office, affection, of a and being kind to people.
1: Yeah, because we don't do that oh, in student boy. ministry. We're just honest. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Brian. Sir. If
2: nothing else, that'll teach you not to miss another recording because mm. you you definitely need to be here to defend yourself. Definitely.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, you made me spit my dentures out. It was <laughs> unbelievable being attacked like that.
2: And for the record, that was Nathan oh, calling man. you Pappy. So, I, oh yeah, really? I did kind of bring yeah. that up. Yeah, JC wasn't going to say it, and I just I just quoted my buddy Matt Dudley because he always calls you Pappy. It's true, but. Uh, well, you, I'm sorry, your pastoral ministry, you look real rested. I've been up since like 4 a.m.
1: dealing with ministry stuff. So how was that? Mm. How was that bed at an angle to keep the girt down?
0: Well, (laughs) (laughs) hey, don't make fun of my ailments, man. Uh, But you know, in, in all seriousness, JC, it's a difficult season, man. Yeah, it is. It's a difficult season, whether you're a youth pastor, a lead pastor, an assistant pastor. You're right. Uh, I just had the funeral this past week of uh, a 45-year-old guy at the church named Brian Phelps, who was a precious friend of mine. He was a part of our church family for over 15 years. Just an amazing guy, absolutely Mm -hmm. hilarious. He's the kind of guy who always ribbed everybody. He could give it and take it, and uh, everybody just loved him deeply. And, you know, to see his wife and his two daughters— down there, you know, grieving. It's just, it's a difficult season guys We need to lift one another up in prayer.
1: Yeah, O'Brien, it is a season of of heaviness right now. I I lost a good friend uh, last Wednesday, just right before I went out to preach at college nights. Um, a guy by the name of Gary Mooney. Uh, a lot of people know Gary. Um, he was oh, yeah. always an encouragement to me. In fact, just two weeks ago, he shot me a text message. I always look forward to his text messages. And he shot one and said, hey, bro, praying for you. I'm proud of you. And, you know, I mean, he would always send just little encouragements, little pieces mm. of of nug- like just nuggets when you needed it of just encouragement. And uh, he got sick, went in, they uh, put him on the ventilator, and he he passed away. Um, just a few, few hours after that. And, uh, you know, there's, there's so many folks right now that are dealing with that. And so it is a heavy season. There are a lot of things that are um, just really troubling right now. I mean, I was up until 4 a.m. last night. We were uh, working with some college folks here. Um at Connection Church and it's just it is a heavy season, but there's also victories that are happening during this season and ministry continues to yeah. press on, good and bad, and that's part of ministry, Amen. right?
0: Yeah, one Hell of the yeah. great things happening is I don't know if you guys are seeing this, but cultural Christianity is dying. Mm-hmm. And while that yeah. is painful, that is a great thing. And hey, we're kind of on the front lines of that. Let's yeah. just be honest. We are warring yeah. against cultural Christianity. We don't we don't believe in that. And uh, we believe in true Christianity. And um, and so that's actually a good thing that's happening. And while it's depressing to pastors to see some of the numbers going down, let's just be honest, those people really weren't in to begin with. Right. They were only present in body. And so I think some of this is going to be a great gospel opportunity.
1: And I think there's opportunity right now to do what we talk about in the student ministry world and the college ministry world for a long time is focus on who is there rather than who is not there. I think one of the biggest things that I regret from years ago when I first started in student ministry was always worrying about who wasn't showing up at youth groups. Like, oh, where's your friends at? Why aren't they coming? But instead of focusing on the ones that did decide to come, and I think that's what the church has an opportunity to do right now, is focus on those people that are making the choice to come and to be there and to really pour into them. And it's a great season to do what the Bible calls us to do and make disciples.
2: Amen. Amen. Yeah, the church is always reforming, and God knows how to prune the branches that are abiding in the vine. And I'm thankful that He does that. And if you study church history, there are so many negatives, so many discouraging seasons. But the church always comes out of that. Yeah, amen. And uh, I don't, I don't want to be one of these people walking around with my head in the clouds, thinking that everything's just roses and sunshine because it's not. We're called to be sober mm-hmm. in this world. We're called to uh have a have a serious attitude and yet there are so many positives and and when things are going the worst and satan is bringing his worst against the church god is still in control and greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world so uh guys i'm i'm excited about what's going on i'm really excited about this episode we're actually sitting here with bob and kelly redank from greenville tennessee is that correct
3: I, I just gotta correct you on one thing, Nathan. And I know we're we're friends and I love you, bro. But the test of true friendship is if you can say our last name correctly.
2: <laughs> oh and my word.
3: Did, and you didn't I don't so. think
2: I've ever said it correctly. Please <laughs> no tell me happened. one tell me one more time. It's all long A's, Ray Dank. Ray Dank. I should be able to remember that, Ray Dank. Yeah. Rating. Why can't I not remember that? Wow. Well, this guy, the other person that's on with us is Mike Peters. I always get his name right. I guess we're true buddies. Must
4: be. Yeah. Así es, querido hermano. Acuna Matara.
2: What? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's how it is, bro. That's how it is.
4: What time is it there? Yes, well, it is.
0: I'm trying to sit here and deal with the fact that I'll never really be friends with Bob and Kelly. This is this is painful because I don't. <laughs>
5: Where I'm from, we
0: barely say our own names right.
5: (laughs) We'll give you a pass. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) How old are you,
3: Bob? 40 years old. We're both 40.
2: 40 Wow. Wow.
1: Youngins. He's very young. Just for the record, we were in sixth grade when you graduated high school. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying.
2: JC, are you 42? I'll be 40 in five months. Uh, I thought you were still in I'm your 39. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Mike, are, hey, are Mike you what time yet? is it over in Spain?
4: I'm 26. No, I'm kidding. I'm 37. <laughs> <laughs> what time is it there? Yeah. <laughs> what time is it? It's uh, 6.30 p.m. Nice.
2: nice. Nice. Okay. Well, it's 12.33 where the rest of us are at. We're all in Eastern time zone. On a Friday afternoon. So, uh, JC, you want... And the Braves play their first game of the
1: NLCS tomorrow, so... I just Come to on, put it baby. on the record that by the time this comes out, let's hope that we are a few games ahead of the Dodgers who cheated to get in. All right, here we go. <laughs>
3: just want to go on there.
1: Hey, why don't you tell us about our sponsors, JC? Hey, I shall. Our first sponsor is Free Life Soap. Check them out today by going to recoveringfundamentalist.org. Click on the Free Life Soap tab. Use your promo code RFP. Get 20% off of your orders. They have beard oil, like this one, black leather. This is my favorite scent. Uh, they have cherry pipe tobacco so if you want to smell like a heathen you can wear that and it does wonders for the beard it's really really good stuff and i gotta correct myself because speaking of last names we've been saying michelle mckibben's (laughs) last name wrong for the longest time and it did not click. We haven't. I have.
4: We haven't. We haven't. You I have. don't know I've noticed why. it, and
2: I just
1: let you run I with have, it. I've known her for so long. Her <laughs> daughter, who is part of an incredible band called 11th Hour Worship, uh, was my yep. worship leader at Rockbridge there for three years. And I called her Michaela McCribbin the entire time she worked there. I've called Michelle, <laughs> Michelle McCribbin. Free Life Soap is incredible. I've known these people forever. It's McKibben i am so sorry michelle yeah. but hey check out our uh, free life soap today by going to recoveringfundamentalist.org. and while you're there click on the tab for loot box creative uh, loot box creative is now a sponsor of the recovering fundamentalist podcast these folks are making top quality excellent graphics and video content for your church and uh, at a price that you can yep. afford it's lootboxcreative.org Guys, I am excited about today's episode as a, we're just going to have a round table discussion, if you will, right here on video. This is the most people we've ever had on a RFP episode. And so who knows,
2: who, who knows who's going to get a word in, but it's going to be fun. I'm just going to sit here. And JC, we're actually coming to you from two countries and four different states. Wow. So oh. the RFP is branching out, man. Oh. We're, we're going global. Let's get this show started. Y'all ready? I'm ready. I'm ready.
1: Let's go.
0: The Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast begins in three. These podcasts, <laughs> podcasts, that sound like a convention of beans or peas to me. i <laughs>
2: cash listen and these recovering fundamentals they don't know the bible either
1: what are the fundamentals inerrancy virgin birth of jesus christ amen. substitutionary atonement amen bodily resurrection amen. of christ and the authenticity of miracles Hi, man. two
0: i am not a recovering fundamentalist they're
4: everywhere they're all over the internet they want to be uh what do they call it recovering from fundamentalism they're everywhere and I think to myself, well, you were just stupid to begin with. And if there's such a
0: word, you're stupider now. We well, ain't recovering from nothing good, Mabel. We're reviving from the Holy Ghost. Somebody, shame "Man,
2: my Everybody wants to focus on recovering. Oh, you're recovering. Oh, you need yeah. help. You need therapy. You're recovering. Let's focus on fundamentalists. We're recovering fundamentalism back from people who have hijacked it. We are biblical. Family, we are the fundamentalists.
1: Man. That'll make a Baptist want to speak in tongues right there, boys.
0: One. I'm going to tell you one thing. Uh, we better stay uh, in the old paths. But what are the old paths? But I, I've, I've heard that my whole life, and nobody's ever been able to tell me what the old paths or the old-time religion really is because it's whatever era you mm-hmm. overly romanticize in your mind as being when the church was right mm.
1: like it lump it pump it chump it take it across the street and dump it we've raised a generation that is ashamed of our forefathers and act like they were somehow done wrong in the way they were brought up and they were damaged and they were scarred because they were raised in a home that had standards and convictions and kept them on the old time way you got their number boys Y'all thought you started the podcast. You went and started the
0: movement. Thanks for joining us for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Make sure to stay tuned at the end of the show to hear more about the RFP sponsors. Now here's your host for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, Nathan Cravat, J.C. Groves, and Brian Edwards.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Uh, We're glad you're here with us today, and uh, we've got some friends in the studio with us today uh, that are going to be sharing their story, and this is a topic that we've been talking about now for the last month. This is episode number four on the topic of alcohol, and uh, we wanted to bring in our folks. We've had conversations with these guys um, over the topic of alcohol and how when they were confronted with culture on the mission field, how their views begin to change, and uh, we're excited for you to hear their story stories today. And so first up, we're going all the way out to Spain. And uh, we are meeting up with Mike Peters. And uh, Mike, share your story of being confronted by culture and how your views on this alcohol has changed.
4: Well, we've been in Spain since December of 2013. And uh, coming from the Midwest, I mean, we were naturally very conservative in most things. So I have a, I have a long line of family history uh, that is connected to alcohol abuse. drunkenness, which is definitely biblically a sin. Um, And I just want to paint a picture here to juxtapose uh, uh, my views on on this and and what we were confronted with here with my own family of origin, which obviously has a lot to do with my own inclinations and my own tendencies. But I have an uncle who just passed away from liver disease, uh, who was dishonorably discharged from the U.S. Navy. Um, When my grandmother was expecting my mother, she was at work one day. And her mom and dad were babysitting um, her other two children. Well, my biological grandfather, who was forever drunk on a regular basis, uh, threatened to break into my great-grandparents' house and kill everyone while he was in a drunken stupor. My great-grandfather mm. knew he had this you – know, he was always drunk. He knew he, he, he had this way about him. And so they were yelling at each other through the door. um, And he said, listen, why don't you go home, sleep it off, and we'll take care of the kids. You can come back later. Well, my grandfather said, no. He said, I have a gun. And he said, if you don't open this door, I'm going to knock it down, and I'm going to come in and kill you, your your wife, and the children as well. And so my great-grandfather fired a shotgun through the door without looking in self-defense as my grandfather began to beat the door in. And he shot through the door and killed him instantly in self-defense while he was in a drunken stupor now i say that not to be you know not to be sensational not to be anything or not even to base my arguments on anecdotal experience but rather just to say there is <laughs> there is power in drunkenness there is a reason that's uh, prohibited in the scriptures and so that was my context that was my background coming into this distinct culture that we live in here in europe and um what's interesting is we began to meet other christians as we after we moved here uh the pastor of the church that we were at as we began to study the language and the people and we're talking conservative independent baptist christians in spain were shocked at us when we told them that we did not drink alcohol they they could not wrap their heads around that and they're, they're, we'd tell them, we'd say, well, we don't drink. we well, go to their house for dinner. We don't drink. And they say, okay, that's fine. Well, how about a little bit of wine? We're like, we just told you we don't drink. Well, yeah, 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 but this is wine. This is different. It's like, well, what are you talking about? So, <laughs> but one of the most, for me, and, and you guys know this, and, and I think this, for me, was one of the biggest things that pushed me towards studying what the Bible actually says in relation to alcohol was my children. And any parent can attest to this is when your kids begin to question and they realize that your answer is a bit shaky. You have to go back and look at the scripture and find out, man, what does the Bible actually say about this if I'm going to defend my position? So on one of the most frustrating nights of my life, having lived during during our time here in Spain, our car broke down in the middle of nowhere in Spain. And we uh, we were at a truck stop and it was late and I was waiting on a tow truck and it was myself, my wife. Our uh, three boys, who were uh, the oldest one, was uh, five years old at the time. And then we had a couple college students with us that uh, were riding in our van with us. Well, there was a big tour bus that um, stopped into the truck stop while we were sitting there. And uh, a bunch of people got off the tour bus to come in, get a snack, get something to drink. And several men on the tour bus got a can of beer. And my oldest, Jack, he had to be about five or six at the time. We're sitting at a table just waiting on the tow truck, and we're watching all these people get off the tour bus and get a drink, a lot of them drinking uh, beer. And Jack goes, hey, Dad, you see all those guys drinking beer? I like, yeah. He said, that's wrong, isn't it? I said, yeah, they shouldn't do that. He said, but I thought you said it was wrong because it makes people do crazy stuff. I said, yeah, that's what I said. Well, he goes. Well, they're drinking beer and they ain't doing anything crazy. <laughs>
2: mm.
4: Wow! I'm like, snap! <laughs> it's like, buddy, we can talk about this later. All right, <laughs> right now, Dad's trying to work <laughs> things out with the tow truck man. I don't, I don't know if I'm uh, equipped to have this conversation with you. So uh, that was a turning point for me as a father, as a Christian, just to realize that I cannot, I can't continue to avoid looking through the scripture and finding out what the Bible actually
0: says about this uh, as my lifelong position had been challenged. So Mike, when you and Jen and the family came into that different culture and you were among people that considered, you know, wine really not even to be alcoholic, they put it in a completely different category. How much did you start to realize that you had a Western or an American frame of mind toward a biblical issue? So you had, Sat under American preaching and American theology toward a biblical issue.
4: Yeah, I was I was blown away by it. I I mean, we, we, as you guys have spoken in in, in the recent episodes, I, I had taken all those proof texts to uh, create my position on the issue. But what I didn't realize is what I was doing was letting my framework, my background. Use the Bible to support my preconceived notions versus letting the Bible inform me about what my notion should be. And a lot of those preconceived notions were based upon my American Christian culture. And I was really confronted by that, like I said, when I when when, you know, respected Christian conservative people in our Baptist church here in Spain. Uh, were were questioned like, man, why can't you come out and have a beer with us? I mean, what's what's the big deal? When the pastor of the church asks you that, yeah. you're kind of like, I I should really have a I should really have an answer, but I don't have an answer right now. So it was it was it was so, it was shocking to to my system to say the least.
2: So obviously your views on alcohol have changed. Did that play any role? in your transition away from the IFB, did you receive any kickback from the IFB on that? Or was that a part of your story that just kind of flew under
4: the radar? That that was a part of the story that flew under the radar up until this episode, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, it, it really flew under the radar because other things took precedent over that. And so we never even discussed that issue with any of our um any of our spiritual leaders from the past so we 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 had already we already knew that we were going in a on a different trajectory on other things so that that never came up
2: well mike we wanted you to be on this episode with bob and kelly Radank because their story is a little bit different from yours this issue did impact their lives in a powerful way. And I don't want to tell their story. I want them to tell it, but you were actually a part of their story. Uh, I believe Bob contacted you in the middle of his issues. And uh, so I, I think you understand the gravity of what we're about to hear.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Well, Bob and Kelly, would you guys just like to take however long it takes to share your story? We've been asking you to do this for months, maybe a year or or longer. And honestly, you guys just weren't ready. And I respect that so much. And one of the main reasons you weren't ready was because you did not want to come across as bitter and you didn't want to speak out against the people that had hurt you. And I honor that and I respect that. And I love your heart because I've, I've heard that from you guys privately so many times. So we just wanted to give you an opportunity to share your story from beginning to end. And and after you guys get finished sharing it, we'd love to come back and ask some questions.
3: We appreciate you guys letting us come on. We love you guys so much. Love the ministry that God has given you all. And uh, it's it's a great thing to be on here today. Um, our story is lengthy. Uh, we'll try to do, do it in a brief way as much as possible. But there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah. And um, it's difficult to tell. Um, we've told this story to many people. And uh, uh throughout the year and a half or so that it's been since we've we've had to go through this and every single time that we tell this story it, it there's a there's pain that comes up and I know Mike, you probably feel the same way and um, right we want to make sure we tell this story right and we want to do it in the right spirit. I appreciate you letting us do that. Um, we're here to glorify God and he, he has shown himself real in our lives through this. And we give them all praise and glory. And so there's a lot of details that we're about to share. Um, and it, I, we don't want it to sound like we're trying to throw anybody under the bus or anything. But the main thing is we want to give glory to Jesus Christ
2: through this. Amen.
5: And I just wanted to add, too, that as difficult as it is to tell our story, we wouldn't trade it. We wouldn't go back and hope it happened differently because of the work that God did in our lives mm-hmm. through what we have experienced. We experienced God really for the first time in our lives they had to experience god at a deep level and i wouldn't trade that for anything
3: so we wanted to say that at first because we you know god deserves all the glory so everything you're about to hear god deserves the glory through it all but just to back it up way way back um let's go back in time (laughs) (laughs) when i was a little wee (laughs) wee little guy not that far but no, we we met at a IFB college, uh, which was a ministry of a church in Tennessee, and we were working in the same office, uh, part of the college's work scholarship program that they had. And um,
5: I thought he was the biggest nerd on campus. Yeah, shes one still, of.
3: She still does. Um, <laughs> and later, Kelly would get promoted to full-time staff. And so I was still doing the work scholarship program. And she basically became my boss, and she's been that way ever since. So, (laughs) (laughs) Amen,
2: brother.
5: Yeah, still working on the training. Got him almost where I want him, but not quite. Still working on that. (laughs) No, but besides us meeting in college, which was the greatest part of college, we really did learn a lot. We enjoyed that. Really, for me, was a beginning of the journey that God brought us on. It was the first time really where I was having to, I was being confronted with people that believed a little bit differently, even though similar, believed a little bit differently than how I had grown up. So for the first time I was having to start to study God's word and well, what does God's word say about this? We did it this way, but these people do it this way. So it was a first time for me kind of in my my part of the journey.
3: And I remember so many classes that we took, both of us took, uh, you know, learning about the Baptist distinctives and, things like the priesthood of the believer, individual soul liberty, you know, these lessons really spoke to us. I know it spoke to me mm-hmm. in a profound way, and it settled in our hearts that we could personally allow the Holy Spirit to do his work of sanctification in our lives. We learned that there at this Bible college, and and we learned how to discern the truth there and and that, that we could have the Holy Spirit to guide us into that truth, just as Jesus promised us, you know. These things that we were learning, it really was a joy to learn. It was a a good place to learn these things during those years that we were there at that
5: college. It was also a place we made lifelong friends. People we're still friends with today. Mm -hmm. So there's so many reasons why we are thankful um, for the time that we spent there. It was a place that we surrendered to God's leading in our lives, to be involved in the missions work in Germany. Um, So all around, we really enjoyed our time being there. We enjoyed how we were growing in our faith.
3: So as a freshman in college, I knew God wanted me to go to Germany to be a church planner. I, I really became so obsessed with it. I was, it was so much so that everybody on campus and even at the church knew me as the German guy. You know, I was just, that's all I talked about <laughs> was Germany. I, I loved it. I, I breathed it. I thought it. I dreamt, dreamt it. And so after graduating from college, the church there became our our sending church and also our mission agency. So it was, everything was right there. And uh, it was during that time when we were raising financial support to go to Germany. This was uh, um, in 2007. That's when my journey personally started. And that was because I started filling out these things called questionnaires that all missionaries in the IFB world have to fill out. We hate those, and, Bob, uh, yes. don't we? <laughs> and uh, well, I don't know how you did it, Mike, um, but I was that, that that kind of missionary that was just desperate. And so I actually filled out all of them. most of them. Same for me, man. Asian. Same for me. Yeah, way too many of them. And so for those of you who may not listening may not know what this is all about. You know, we're seeking support from churches, financial support, and the churches will mail at that time they'd mail it. Sometimes email it. School. Yeah, well, that was old school. We were old. I don't know how it was for you, Mike. <laughs> but uh we get a paper copy and I'd have to handwrite all the the answers it would take to the hours. To fill, it would
5: two or three hours to fill this entire questionnaire out.
3: And the crazy thing about these questionnaires was, you would think that these churches would be looking for, you know, doctrinal positions. But yeah, there was very little doctrinal things that were in these questionnaires. And so I'm I'm answering questions about dress standards, music standards, version standards, and I'm doing my best. Here I am, fresh out of college, newly married, somewhat pretty much. And I'm doing my best to answer these questionnaires truthfully. And But really what I was doing was I was just regurgitating everything that I was taught. I really didn't Mm. take God's word and line it up, you know, but I wanted my my heart was sincere. I wanted to answer those questions truthfully. The thing that really spoke to me years later, as I was thinking about all this, none of those questionnaires stated some code of conduct. For the missionaries that they wanted to support. It was just a bunch of questions. And I don't know if you've, you've uh, experienced this, Mike, but we just had a bunch of questions and they weren't really specific about where that church stood on those issues. You can get a, a guess, you can make an educated guess where they stood based on the questions, but they never gave us a, a specific statement of saying, this is what we want our missionaries to believe and the standards that we want them to hold. So we never never had that happen. It was just a bunch of questions that we filled up. So we were filling these things out, trying to raise support and um, going on the slow journey of, of just questioning certain things. Why is it this? Why, why do we believe it this way? Why do we do it this way? And it was a slow journey to, to look at these issues. And um, we realized, we were starting to realize that these, these issues were a matter of individual liberty. And it took us a long time. It didn't happen right off the bat. But um, we started to see that these weren't really doctrinal issues that we were being asked. There were more of preferences and things that, that we personally could decide for our own.
5: And even our sending church, we were never given a code of conduct of things that we as missionaries should follow. You have to do these things, these certain rules. There was never anything like that given. Even as a staff member, when I worked on staff, I was never given anything to fill out saying I would not do this or would not be a part of anything like this, Um, just to give a little context. So it was just something you were expected to know, just expected to, you know what we believe, so you do all of the things. But I was never given a code of conduct or anything, even as missionaries. Um, So we were kind of left to ourselves in a sense with these unexpected expectations that were hanging over us. And even Bob's ordination was not your typical ordination where you're asked a thousand questions, because in their minds they had trained him. So why ask him what he believes? We, we told him what he believes. And so wow. it was kind of really his ordination. Like when he came out of it, I was like, so how was it? Was it horrible? I said, no, we really just kind of, they chatted about Germany. Like yeah, I chatted had, and asked questions about oh, Germany.
3: I had more questions in my ordination about Martin Luther than I did about the doctrines of salvation, for example. I mean, there was one, one man on my ordination council, great man. I love him dearly. But all he wanted to talk about was Martin Luther. And he said, if you're going to be effective in evangelism in germany you gotta know martin luther and he kind of talked like that too um and so (laughs) it was it was just kind of mind-blowing you know that like kelly said they had trained us and so you know they they knew
0: where we were supposed to be at and where we where we stood on some things so that do you think do you think that's the product of the overarching shallowness that exists in fundamentalism I, i i think so um and we
3: we, we rec- recognized that um over time i mean i thought i was just given a pass at the uh, in the midst of it all i thought it was because of love and you know we you know we've trained you you know so i was kind of duped into that in a sense but over time i realized this
0: is this was shallow you know this was yeah. this was nothing specific it was just very superficial and so I our would agree. nation was a lot like that as a matter of fact guys i've never even told jc or nathan this uh, but jc The last question in my ordination uh, council or from my ordination council was, do you love fried chicken? Oh, my word. That (laughs) was the last question to which I responded. Yes.
2: Qualified.
0: So, JC, (laughs) the guy actually said, then you must be called. Unbelievable. That was the last question. Oh, boy.
4: Wow. Yeah, they, did, they didn't They did do that for our ordination. I mean, they did something similar. We didn't even have a council. The pastor just preached a message and had all the guys getting ordained sit on the front row of the church that evening and um, used a little bag with uh, a diaper, a pacifier, a baby spoon, and kind of drew a metaphor with you need to use these tools because you're going to have people in your church that you're going to use these tools as uh, for them, uh, and you have to get used to this kind of thing. So, But there was no questions about what we believed about, doctrines of grace, uh, you know, uh, the blood atonement, baptism,
2: nothing. Wow.
3: So that was that was a, an example of not only what we're experiencing from our sending church, but it's also an example of what we're experiencing with all these questionnaires and all these different churches that were considering us and, and taking to take us on. And so that whole fundraising period of our life, it was very interesting for us. We worked through those questionnaires. We drove all over the country presenting our future ministry to, it was about 130 churches, I think, that we went to in less than three years. And in 2010, we moved to Germany with support of about 65 of those churches, including our ascending church.
5: So the interesting part of that journey was that every one of these churches, although similar, had very different levels of separation. You had some that were super conservative in their music standards and then some that weren't. And so... Seeing all of these things and this strange dynamic was what God ultimately used to start bringing us on a journey away from legalism, seeing these varying levels of separation. But these people love Jesus, no matter what level they were on that, on that scale, they wanted to serve him. And that led us to start studying what do we believe about these things? What do we, what do we believe God's word says? And not just what we'd always heard. So, but what's something that we recognized quickly was that, there really was a lack of relationship with the churches. The churches love to just throw money at you. I'm sure you experienced this as well, Mike. We had a few churches that were great, constantly stayed in contact with us, sent us emails and things like that. But for the most part, it was very hands-off. We send you money, you you do our foreign work for us, and that's kind of the relationship that we had with them. So with our sending church, Bob really tried in the beginning to keep that relationship alive by calling every few months, giving an update, um, things like that. But there was, I don't think there was ever a time where our sending pastor ever called us to see how we were doing, to check up on us, to hold us accountable, any of those sort of things.
3: Yeah, and 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 so when we talk about, when we say we, we felt in our hearts that we were left by ourselves, um, and when we talk about that, and we've said that before in the past when we talk with people, um, what we're meaning there is we, we really didn't feel that mentoring support from those churches or even from our, our sending church who had committed uh, to us in the ministry that God gave us. You know, this this was something that we saw right off the bat. Right when we got to the field in 2010, there was no mentoring structure there to, to help us. We were just thrown into it. Now, on the field, I will say that on the field, we had a great support structure there there was there was missionary families my parents were there and they helped us on the field but as far as here in the states it was a lot different so this was especially true from our Sunning Church and our pastor we looked up to our pastor we loved him dearly and so this distance that we were receiving from him was just for us it was it was kind of hurtful um and for example uh, his grandson came to live with us for about three months. He wanted to play soccer. And so we got it set up with a local team there and he played on that team. And then later on-
5: A year later. A year yeah, about, later, a, so.
3: about a year later, his his parents came and moved to about an hour from, a little over an hour from where we were living. Uh, he wanted, uh, the, the boy's father wanted to work in an uh, international church and also allow his sons to play soccer. And so we helped them uh, relocate and, and help them move. and. There was a lot of relational things that I was doing, but it was very little in return. You know, yes, we were getting this financial support, but none of that mentorship that we were thought we'd expect. But the big kicker was when our pastor came to visit them for a few weeks, the son and daughter, the son and daughter who who had relocated there, that we tried to reach out. We tried to meet with them, but there was always some excuse for those few weeks that they were there and we weren't that far at all from them. And so there was always something that would come up that that hindered us from being able to meet with them
5: but he was an hour away never called us and all of the con- connection that we had with them was all through his son like we were contacting him like hey can we we come visit him while he's here you know because they were had talked about coming up and seeing us the son had but it never happened so then we said hey we're going to be in the area can we just stop by real quick and have coffee or something oh he's not feeling really good so i don't think that's a good idea yeah, so we
3: never got a phone call, nothing. It was just so complete this, silence
5: for us. For was part. kind of the aha moment of there's there's zero relationship here. There is no mm. there is no nothing here. Um, so because of that lack of relationship with the church, with our pastor, we had to learn to rely on the Spirit's guidance. We had to look at it, um, and that's obviously the best guidance that we needed. We didn't need a pastoral guidance. We thought we did. That was what we had thought because we had. Messiah sized him really and thought of him as a Messiah in our minds. And we forgot how important it is that the spirit should be the one that takes that place in our lives and not a pastor.
3: But as we've heard in many stories in the, throughout the IFB world, that's what, that's what you do. You Messiah size your pastor, you Messiah size these preachers and these evangelists. And we were deep in that idolatrous culture and that sounds very harsh to say, but I believe that's the truth. It's very idolatrous. I agree. And and the spirit was was working in our lives to reveal to us that we needed him. There's nothing wrong in getting pastor pastoral counsel and, and having that mentorship from a pastor, but we were taking it to an unhealthy mm-hmm. level. And so we had to learn in a very slow process that the spirit had to guide us. And and as we were going through that slow process, we were starting to experience freedom. We really were not complete freedom because we were still tied to those churches back in the states. But this lack of relationship really forced us to look to God's word for answers instead of relying on other men for that. But it was very hard. I have to admit, it was very hard to break away from the, that legalistic mindset and that idolatrous mindset that we had that was so ingrained in us.
5: I think for a couple of reasons, not just because it was a mindset, kind of a brainwashing, but also because our livelihood depended on it. Right. And the further you get away from that, Mike knows, we know it doesn't go well. It doesn't end well. Well, let's yeah. not give alerts yet. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> um, but almost immediately when we when we arrived in Germany, uh, we were confronted with issues, just like you were talking about, Mike, those cultural issues that were went completely against the IFB world. And, and we really started to think through things. We had to, we were forced to think through things and we had to answer, answer, answer questions about what we believe and where we stood on things. Well, while we were getting grounded uh, in, in the German culture, learning the language and, and things, we, we were helping in a German church and it was a great church. These, they had some great folks who really loved the Lord and they accepted us in and, and loved on us and everything. And, um, and, but they were they did things totally different than what we were used to. You know, for, for example, they didn't have Sunday school, but we were taught three to thrive, you know. They didn't have a Sunday oh, night yeah. service. And uh, their weekly Bible study wasn't a service. It was more of just sitting around a table and talking and sharing, sharing truths from God's word. And um, so... It, a lot of things different they these didn't, are
5: simple things these yes,
3: simple but, things but these were things that we saw that we were ingrained in like this is how it has to be you know they didn't wear suits to church they had a more laid-back casual way of doing things but we were having to, to take all those simple things and and match them up with god's word and say hey where does it where does that fit you know where does that fit and so one of the biggest problems that we faced in germany with was this issue of alcohol and so we We've told a long story here, but we finally got to the point here of talking about alcohol, and we were confronted very quickly that most German, not all, but most German believers do not see the consumption of alcohol as a sin.
5: I would say with the connections of Germans we knew, 90% did not see drinking alcohol as a sin. There was a small, and most of those had been heavily influenced by American missionaries. The ones who did have an issue with it were heavily influenced by American culture.
3: So there was this one time where we were invited to have a meal with one of uh, the families in the church there and the, they love the Lord solid family they're faithful in the church and they invited us over and this was at the beginning like we were still learning German and and so between our broken German and their broken English we somehow we understood each other and they asked us a bunch of questions about our our, our family about our life and and then they switched gears and they started to ask us what we believe and the question of alcohol came up and so um the, the word of the day is regurgitated i regurgitated the same lines that i had learned about how sinful it is to consume alcohol but they were thinking
5: will really help this yeah. german couple along yeah. in their christian life
3: we want to train them we want that's why we're here we want to teach them but they were very kind and very patient with us and uh, they could see that we weren't under you know that they that that we're not understanding our passionate pleas that alcohol is sinful. They they, they were looking at this and saying, you know, we, we want to try to help them. You know, it was kind of they flipped it, and they want to try to help them understand what the Bible actually has to say. But I kept quoting all these verses that I thought was proof texts about how alcohol was so sinful. But they kept flipping it and saying, no, that's talking about drunkenness. And we stumbled around trying to help them understand, and they were stumbling trying to help us understand. It's a very respectful conversation that we had but uh it was years later that we we finally allowed god to work in our hearts then when we had that conversation with that family we were dead set in our ways and we knew everyone in our church that um pretty much everyone in that church besides
5: the the other american missionary that was there
3: everyone drank alcohol and it wasn't an issue just like you were talking about mike and um they knew that we didn't drink at all So there was this mutual respect between us and we would come a long way used to we'd be judging those people. We we have a lot of different uh, opinions of those people, but we we came to a mutual respect for each other, even though we held firm in our position and they held firm in their position. It was done in a respectful way. So we really appreciate how God used that church to help us in our journey and our development.
2: Closer to the Wood Did apartment. you observe any abuse, any drunkenness within the church?
3: There was one man that had a problem with it um, sometimes, um, and he knew it, and so he would get drunk sometimes, and so there was the, the pastor of the church was helping him with it, but he was a young Christian. He was a great guy named Andreas, um, super awesome dude, um, had a good heart, but... But we never saw it outright. There was no functions that were going on, no potluck fellowships or anything where where believers were getting slobbering junk or anything. Uh, we never had yeah. any any alcohol at the church. Just because the pastor, uh, he he held to that, and he said we don't want to have alcohol there. And they respected that. They they understood that. But outside of that, when we you know went over to people's houses, we never never um, saw that at all. Well, beer is a part of German culture, isn't it? Very uh, much so. They used to call it. I think even now in some places they call it liquid bread. I mean that's this, yeah. it's like a nickname for it that they give it. Yeah. So they love their beer. I remember this man that I was just talking about. He he would encourage Kelly to help her in her health to drink it with her health and 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 because we um, and then he would tell me to drink it because it was very healthy. I never heard that beer was healthy until we got to Germany. <laughs> <man>. <laughs>
2: Well, Martin Luther had some pretty uh, strong views on alcohol as well, and, it, and they weren't yeah. in the negative way.
5: He had a brewery. Yeah. still does. It yeah. still functions to this day called Luther Beer. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like wow. a new
2: sponsor for the
3: RFP. I like, <laughs> it. I like it. Working on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was one verse that was really helpful to us during this time, and that was Romans 14, 5 through 6. And one person regards a certain day above the others, while someone else considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who who observes in a special day does it to the Lord. He who eats does so to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So that's where we were in this phase, in this section of our life, where we're just a mutual respect. And um, we're very thankful for the people that got brought, brought our way. But there were so many things, that we were just confronted with that went against our, the IFB world that we were in and, and then Kelly, yeah, you you... were
5: asking about, did we ever observe um, any drunkenness or anything like this? I can remember distinctly a few times where it just was an aha moment for me. It was one time where a group of ladies from our church all went out for dinner. Everyone ordered something, whether it was a beer or a glass of wine, something like that. I was the only one who didn't. And again mutual respect no one said it no one made me feel uncomfortable about it or anything but i remember just thinking like this is going to be interesting because in my mind you drink alcohol you're going to get drunk so i thought like yeah. how are these people all going to drive home tonight like how is this going to go everybody's going to get all tipsy and everything else and by the end of the meal we had talked about jesus during the meal we had had a beautiful conversations no one was even remotely tipsy everyone got in their cars and drove home and i thought whoa, wait, I thought that you drank alcohol, you got drunk. That's just how it works. And that didn't happen. And it was a beautiful night where Jesus was honored and glorified with alcohol on the table. And I didn't think, it blew my mind because I didn't think that those two could coincide. But for me, that was such an aha moment of, wow, you can love Jesus and drink alcohol, not get drunk. And we he was honored and glorified in a meal where there was alcohol served.
2: Wow. And
3: then... Then a few years later, that German church sent us and a few families to start another church on the other side of the county. That was an awesome time, very exciting, starting a new church. I was first-time pastor. But even though there was a lot of excitement there, there was a huge weight of responsibility because now I'm the pastor. You know, people are coming at me with questions, and I felt so inadequate. I felt so unprepared for it. And uh, I just couldn't keep regurgitating those same things that I was taught. I had to give answers from God's word. I had to be prepared to give an answer. That was that was my calling as a pastor. And so that church uh, plant was small; it always was, but it was a good group of folks, and I love them dearly. And um, and they were so patient with me. Um, I, I made a lot of mistakes, a ton of mistakes uh, as a as their pastor. One big mistake was my terrible German. I, I struggled with that. Um, <laughs> they loved to, to learn more about God's word. They told me several times, hey, if you preach long, it's fine. We we, we love it. And I remember one time we were going through um, a verse-by-verse look at at the book of Habakkuk. And um, that was a great series. We learned a lot from that that book. But when we got to chapter 2, Habakkuk is prophesying these woes. And we studied each woe in depth. And one of those woes was in verse 15 of chapter 2. King James says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth that bo- bottle to him, and maketh him drunk also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. You guys touched on this a little bit um, in a, a couple of previous episodes. And I think, Brian, you talked about it, and I loved how you, you 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 painted that whole picture of what that meant. But in the German, that word drink is translated as intoxicating poison. I always thought, from what I was taught, that that word "drink" meant a beverage and that you should never serve that beverage to your neighbor. That's not what that's talking about at all. And as you said, Brian, in that episode, this is talking about how getting people drunk so that they can get involved in sexual immorality. It's not talking about the con- just the consumption of alcohol being a sin. But my brain was all messed up from all the things that we were taught. And so I had to dive into this because that's where we're at. And I really went into that study, a terrible way to study God's word. I went into that thinking, I have finally found the verse to prove to these Germans that the consumption of alcohol is a sin. i looked at all the other verses and I tried to share it with, with some folks. And every time they, they, they throw it back at me and say, oh, that's talking about drunkenness. You know, that's talking about drunkenness. But in this study, I thought I would found it because in the King James, it says it's talking about drink. It's talking about a beverage. But then when I read it in German and really not only studied it in German, but then also studied the whole context of it, the spirit really started to work in my heart and convict me that I was wrong. And not just there in that passage, but in the whole topic, the whole topic of of alcohol, I was completely wrong. It was an agonizing process. And you guys have all went through it. We've heard it here in the past episodes. Mike, I know you were talking about it earlier. It's not a fun place to be. When the Holy Spirit's beating me up like that, and um, and so when I was looking through this whole issue, and especially especially when when we got to the point of talking about Jesus turning wine into grape juice, I was blown. My mind was blown when I realized it wasn't grape juice. You know, I mean, it was just like this. This is this is mind blowing to me as the Holy Spirit was sanctifi- sanctifying me. It really was.
5: And I remember when he first started studying this, I was excited because I was like, okay, he's gonna help me to finally settle the doubts that I've always had. I've always been a go along with it, just easy going, not make waves kind of person. But I can remember even as a child, just always having this doubt in the back of my mind when people were like, well, this was grape juice. It could not have been alcoholic beverage. And there was always a nagging, something in the back of my mind, like this doesn't seem right here. There's something missing here. And I can remember teaching it to children and saying, Jesus turned water into grape juice and trying to make that story fit my narrative. Um, and I wanted to be convinced of it, but there was always such a nagging doubt in the back of my mind, like something is missing here. There's something we're not telling in this part of the story. Oh. So when he started doing this end up study, I was excited, like, oh, good. We're finally going to maybe put some of these doubts to rest. So I didn't do the end depth study on my own, but we would talk about it for hours. We would bring up different verses like, oh, this is the one, this one is the one that we're going to be able to use to convince ourselves. And every time the Holy spirit would take that and show us where we had taken the verse out of context. And every time just completely broke down those walls of what we thought we had always known.
2: Context is a really frustrating thing when you're trying to force scripture into your filter. It right. is. Yeah. And I
5: felt like we were so many times trying to put God in the box that we wanted him in mm. and not not to trust him for who he was and for what his word yeah. actually said. We were trying to fit him into what fits comfortable for us.
3: Yes. Yeah. And that whole process is agonizing and, and, and difficult to go through. It really is but it's also freeing, it's a freeing mm-hmm. thing. And so I had to sit in that Bible study that we're having going through Habakkuk and I had to teach and tell the, my, these wonderful German believers that I was wrong. And, wow. uh, and I, I walked through it and I, I not only not only unpacked what it was saying there in Habakkuk, but I went to all the other verses and I, I, I told them, I said that, The Bible is very clear that drunkenness is a sin. We can't take that lightly. It doesn't matter what culture we're in. It doesn't matter if we're German or American. Mm -hmm. The Bible clearly says that it's a sin to to be drunk. But I, I could not sit there and tell them that God's word says that the consumption of alcohol is a sin. And when I did that, it was like a light bulb moment for not just me, but for everybody at the table and and they respected me more and if you know anything about germans they they they're studious uh by by nature and so when they see somebody taking the time to study something it's it's a sign of respect when you do that and that's exactly what happened and um it really drew our church closer i believe and uh, well well, but why not because i came to this conclusion on alcohol no it's because i took god's word and i studied it and i found i did it in its proper context And that is what what gained the respect.
5: During all of this time, we were meeting unbelievers as well. We were constantly meeting unbelievers and getting together with them as friends and eating meals together. Um, And they always were so confused, like, wait, why don't you drink? I remember having people come to our home, bring us a bottle of wine, and we just awkwardly put it away somewhere because we didn't want to make a deal out of it. So we just hid it, and they were, you could tell it was just a serious awkwardness in the room. And so then they would ask the questions, well, why don't you drink alcohol? And again, we'd try to tell unbelievers what the Bible said. And they would kind of chuckle a little bit and they would tell us, well, those verses are talking about getting drunk. Like, I mean, they knew (laughs) the Bible. They knew the verses and they said they were coming to us and they were saying, no, "No, that yes, it's saying you shouldn't get drunk. We see that clearly, but we don't see anywhere that this is talking about verses talking about consuming alcohol. So over time, the way we, that we did ministry started to change and it looked nothing like our sending church. Um, when we were originally sent to Germany, we thought we would replicate a smaller version of what our sending church looked like. And we were excited to we we're going to make a little miniature version of what our church looked like. Over time, we learned that was not going to be possible. We couldn't do that. We were living in a completely different culture. And we didn't just change these things due to culture. And I think a lot of times people try to twist that and make it sound like, oh, you just conformed to the culture that you were in. And that was not what we did. We did that due to culture because of a change of coming from the culture that we had come from which is a culture which nobody likes to admit to, but it is a culture in the IFB as well. Yeah. going And coming now, being confronted with a different culture, we had to study God's word, Check biblical culture and see what biblical culture said before any of these changes were made. Kelly, you talk about you know conforming to culture.
4: And if you think about it, American prohibitionism is cultural. It's a, it's a cultural yeah. thing that Christians conform to because it was culturally acceptable and popular. And right. people can look at that, it, it, read the history. It's, it was a Christian-led movement by certain extremists, and the Christians conformed to it. They did not go to the Word to be informed. Mm-hmm. They let the culture tell them how to be. So, I mean, this this teetotaling position, again, barring the Holy Spirit's conviction on somebody's personal standards, there sure. is a is a very cultural
0: cultural position to hold. Exactly so while studying the bible was gaining you the respect of the german people it wasn't gaining you the respect of the people who were back home isn't that the case that, that is
3: absolutely the case because at this junction in our lives we knew that the changes that we were making that they would not be well received from our supporters and are definitely our sinning church and um our doctrine hadn't changed. I, I need to say that right right off the bat. We did not change our doctrine, even though um, another spoiler alert here, we were accused of that later on. We never changed our doctrine. We stayed firm to the fundamentals of the faith, but we were changing on these preferences, these cultural aspects of things. And so- But
5: changing according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, right. which we all should be able to do, but we you're not able to do that in the IFP world.
3: We, we started talking about moving away from the IFB, maybe getting a new sending church. Um, but as supported missionaries and where all our income was coming from these churches, um, there was no room for sanctification and the Holy Spirit to change things in our lives. We had to toe the line with those supporting churches. Mm-hmm. And if they knew that, that we were changing anything, uh, we knew then. I mean, we weren't oblivious to this. Mm-hmm. We knew. We knew that we would lose everything. But the Holy Spirit just kept working in our lives, and we couldn't ignore that. I can't stress that enough. This was a very strange time for us. We were kind of in the middle, mixed, you know, we knew where we needed to go, but we couldn't do it because we we're so tied to the financial support. So we, we just decided we weren't going to broadcast things in our lives with the changes that we made, but we weren't going to hide them either, you know. If people asked, we'd answer them with transparency and honesty.
1: What an incredible journey that God has had you all on, and uh, it's incredible to see just the realization and truth of the Bible coming to life in your lives, and uh, man, I think this would be a great place to stop and pick this up next week, as we're an hour and 22 minutes in on this episode already, and uh, we want folks to really hear your whole story, and uh, I think coming back next week would be a great opportunity to do that, so will y'all join us next week for part two?
0: Oh, definitely. Awesome. Yeah. Mike. Oh man, I wouldn't miss it. We know you'll be here, Brian.
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I mean, you didn't skip out last week, but <laughs> it's all good. Peters, you going to be able to join us from Spain? Sure. Maybe your awesome. better half can join us too.
4: <laughs> there we go. Yeah, no
1: sinful magic shows. All right, so thanks for being here with us this week on the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to visit our sponsors, Free Life Soap and Loot Box Creative. You can check
2: them out by going to recoveringfundamentalist.org. And, guys, you're just getting to the best part of your story. So people have to come <laughs> back next week to listen to the rest of this. It's I've heard the story multiple times, and... You don't want to miss the rest of this story. Yeah,
0: Nathan, this story is great over a cup of coffee and a cone of ice cream. And I can (laughs) promise you people are going to want to hear the rest of this.
1: As Ed Young would say, we're about to go to a whole nother level. So I'm excited to join us back here next week for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Y'all have a great week.
0: Be sweet, JC. I will.